You can attempt it. It's probably anyway. So tonight I'm gonna I'm gonna preach a sermon to you. Um, back on August 20th, I believe, in a PM service, I preached a sermon called co-laborers. I don't know if you were here or not, but tonight I'm going to preach a sermon um, called co-rulers, and they're kind of like brothers. Uh, they're kind of like friends. Is If it doesn't pan out, it's cool. Is it going to do it? It's doing things. It's, he says it's doing things. Amen? Intercede in Jesus. No, it's okay. I'll tell you what. We'll just do this. We're good. I appreciate you. Thank you, John. Give it up for John. What a guy. Yeah. So, the sermon co-laborers was a sermon about God having a work that he desires you to join him in. Whether you realize it or not, God has a work that he wants you to join him in, a field that he wants you to work in with him. He wants you to plow with his plow, sow his seed, water with his water, and then see a harvest, and the harvest is ultimately his. And when we join him in what he's doing, there is no telling what is going to happen because when he is in the middle of it, the harvest is plentiful. Amen? And he's just looking for laborers. That's what he said. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, too few, way too few. Amen? So tonight I want to talk to you about being a co-ruler. And as I already said, these sermons are like brothers to one another. For the past month or so, the Holy Spirit speaks to me in, in a myriad of ways. And sometimes he just says a word and he just says it like over and over and over again. And I don't know if that happens to you or not, but the word that I kept um, being stirred up about was the word dominion. The word dominion. And the word dominion is not a word that I hear used a lot. I don't know if you use that in your regularly, regular everyday vocabulary. I would bet probably not. But the word dominion, and good grief, it's like, a, it's like it's, there's a demonic attack up here tonight. It's crazy, man. Anyway, crazy. Oh, yeah, it's going to be all right. Thank you, brother. Here we go. Let's bring it back in. Um, the word dominion, other words for it, absolute ownership, supreme authority, dominion, absolute ownership, supreme authority. So I've been praying about this. I've been studying about it, seeking the Lord about it. And in doing so and studying for it, I stumbled upon this podcast. Any podcast people in the house? Or is that just a millennial thing? Okay. All right. All right, respect. Um, and you might have heard of this guy, this guy named Tim Mackey. He's over the Bible Project. You've probably heard of that. But they did this three-part podcast. It's called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And in episode two, I love the way Tim Mackey put something. And I don't know if I've ever heard anyone at least put it this way. And it resonated with me. And it resonated with what the Holy Spirit was trying to stir up and cultivate in me. And this is what he says. I'll, I'll quote it verbatim. A little lengthy, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. This is what he said. Humans are the way that God reigns in the world. Humans are the way that God reigns in the world. From the beginning, it was God's plan to share his world with humans. This was his plan from the beginning. And to have his reign 
in his rule, in his will, dominion, be brought about in the world through human beings. This was God's intention from the very beginning. As we read this book, there are very few things that God does that he doesn't do through humans. Read the book, or if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. Very few things God doesn't do through humans. And I'm gonna briefly, before we get into this, and my main text, if you're curious, will be Luke 17, 20, and 21, and we'll be there here in just a little bit. Briefly, extremely briefly, want to show you that this was God's intention from the very beginning of time all the way up until he returns. Genesis 1, I'll read it. Verses 26 through 30 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea of the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. There's that word again. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with the seed in its fruit you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food and it was so God gave man dominion over the earth and his desire from the beginning was to have us reign, rule, and accomplish his will on the earth. That's what he wanted. But very quickly, we don't know exactly how quick, but very quick, quickly, Adam and Eve reject God's command, reject his desire, and they decide we're gonna do our own thing, we're gonna reject your decrees, and we're gonna do what we want. And then, now we find ourselves here, right? But through the Old Testament, what do we see? We see... Man, what do we do? We mess it up, right? So what happens? Noah. A few chapters later, we read Noah. We start over, right? And then a few chapters later, there's a man named Abram, also known as Abraham. And God speaks to Abraham. And he says, I want to establish a people through you, a new lineage, right? And that's what he does. He tells Abraham, leave your homeland, go. Go and I'll establish a people through you. And, and, and God speaks to Abraham through his life. And that's exactly what he does. Through Abraham's lineage, he, he creates a people that we know today as the nation of Israel. Are you tracking with me so far? And what was God's plan for Abraham's people, Israel? What was the plan? For God to establish his rule and his reign and his will on the earth. That's what's his plan. They were to be the example to the world. That's what God wanted. But what did Israel do? Over and over and over again, they continue to pick up, but then lay down the mantle. They continue to pick up, but then reject God's plan to use them. But God knew this was gonna happen, so he had a plan, as some of us know. He had a plan, and his name was Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, what did he do at his arrival? Who prepared the way? John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist declare? He declared this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. 
And what did Jesus declare from the very get-go? Jesus declares, repent, Matthew 4, 17, for the kingdom of heaven, it's here, it's in your midst, it's in your face, it's arrived. I've come to this earth to reestablish my kingdom on the earth. I came to continue to do what I started to do. And that's what Jesus did. And this was the message that Jesus preached more than any other message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It might not have been his most popular message or his most talked about message, but it was the message that he declared time and time again. It's the message he declared more than any other. And ultimately it was the message that got him hung on a cross because people were cool with him saying, love your neighbor, at least kind of, at least some people, no big deal. Blessed be the poor, no big deal. When Jesus says, repent, I'm the king, I'm in charge, give your life to me, turn from your way of sin, that's what God had put on the cross. But that's exactly what he did. He came to begin to reestablish his kingdom on the earth before it is fully realized when he returns. The best definition of God's kingdom I could find is God's reign through God's people, over God's place. God's reign, through God's people, over God's place. And through the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, this gospel of the kingdom was able to be realized, and the kingdom of God was able to be established in men, and God was able to take reign and rule over men, and in doing so, his desire was for them to then accomplish his will in his way, in his rule. That's what he came to do. He came to put our lives, to put our whole lives under new ownership, under new authority, under new dominion. And then that way he could establish his dominion on the earth. He desired for us to pick up the mantle that Israel laid down. Are we doing that? Jesus did not come just to save us from something. Jesus came to save us for something and for so much. Sometimes we miss that. This message of the kingdom was the message that a group we see time and time again through the gospels. This group could not accept this message. They didn't like it. They didn't like Jesus. And this group was the Pharisees. We read about them and we talk about them a lot for good reason. The Pharisees are meant to show us what not to do and who not to be and where religion gets you. Religion does not get you to Jesus. Gets you to hell. Gets you nowhere. So blind to who was right in front of them. And right here in Luke 17, once again, their eyes are just dull. Very few Pharisees able to see that the king of kings was right there in their face. That this message he declared was actually the message that their soul was longing to hear. They thought they needed a king to come in and establish dominion and rule and to overthrow the government and establish a physical kingdom. But God had a different plan. Before he would ever do that, he had a different plan. And the Pharisees couldn't see it. And they couldn't see it right here once again in Luke 17, which is our central text. If we have one tonight, it is Luke 17, 20 and 21. And I'll read it to you. <clears throat> being asked, Jesus being asked by the Pharisees, 
When then the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Here it is. I'll read verse 21 again. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The Pharisees didn't want to accept, as I've already said, but I'll restate what was right in front of their face. They didn't want to accept accept the message of Jesus. They had different expectations. They literally wanted Jesus to bring a physical war. They wanted to pick up bows and swords and go to town. That's what they wanted to do. But Jesus was a lot different than they expected. They expected a man on the best horse in town, wearing the best garb, overthrowing the government. That's not what they got. Jesus came declaring a countercultural new message never heard before. The Pharisees failed to realize the central message of Jesus and, and it, the central message of Jesus, as we've already talked about, this is the gospel, Luke 17, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. This is the gospel. Jesus had a similar, said it similarly. He didn't change his tone. He didn't change his expectations. Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up on your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Here's my fear. My fear is that many people who occupy seats and pews and chairs every Sunday have failed to get a hold of and understand the gospel that Jesus came proclaiming. That the capital C church has failed to get a hold of what Jesus really said and what he really expected. I see it. So the question I always ask, as my students know, I ask why. That's like my favorite question. I think it's one of God's favorite questions as well. A mentor of mine said, he's about 45, he's a mentor from afar anyway, and he said, you know, as I get older, a lot of that stuff that haunted me in my early days no longer has a hold on me, but what I find God starting to work on is my motives. That's what he does. And so I always ask why. And there's only really two things I could come up with. Why do people not understand the invitation of Christ to full surrender, death to self, new ownership, Why do they not understand then the responsibility, the cost, the depth, the weight of what God calls them to? 
it's one of two things. They've either never seen it or, or heard about it. Like they've never seen it in action or they've never really heard it. Or they've never seen it in action or they've, or they've excuse me, or they've seen it in action and they've heard it, but they've refused to accept it. One of two things. They've either never seen it or never heard it, or they've heard it and seen it, and they refused to accept it. Accept it. But truthfully, I fear the latter, other than the former, that the problem is maybe they never heard it, and maybe they've never seen it. And I want to spend the rest of the night talking about that and talking about talking about what it looks like for God to have dominion over your life and talk about what God wants you to do with that submitted life. And I want to try to bring out some of what the Capital C Church has failed to communicate or do in word and deed. It's not hard to see, y'all. The church overall has failed. It's failed. It's up to us to fix it. Maybe you're older in age and you say, my time's almost done. I assure you, God has much more he wants to do through you. And the giants that the church has let walk about in the earth, you don't have to let the next generation have to take them on. But as we let them walk, you think they're just walking, but as we let them walk around the earth, they just get bigger, they just get stronger, and their dominion gets more powerful. Because if you're not killing them, you're feeding them. Because you're giving them time to establish rule and reign. Some of you might track with that, some of you might not. Question I ask is this, to start. What gospel did the people who fill churches week after week respond to? What gospel did they respond to? There's the gospel of Jesus, the call of Jesus, the call of God, which is to repent, to turn, life change, transformation from the inside out, no longer the same, under new ownership. It's the call to come and die. It's the call to come and burn. That's the gospel. Or do people respond to a counterfeit gospel, a cheap gospel that doesn't talk about the cost, just the benefits? You know what I fear? Out of a fear to be more relevant and to be like the culture, and to make things easier. That's what we desire. That's what culture wants, right? We want life to be easier. That's why we have microwaves. That's why we have all these things. That's why we have DoorDash. Like, that is the pursuit. No pain and ease, right? My fear is that the church, I've seen it. Capital C Church has embraced the culture. And so we've tried to make the gospel more palatable and easier. And so when we make a gospel call... We make it easy and simple. And is it simple? Yes. Is it free? Yes. The gospel is free. Salvation is free, excuse me, but it costs you everything. It's a free gift, but it costs you everything. And a message that has no cost has no avail. It has no power. 
There's no power in a gospel that's just easy. We've tried to sell fire insurance to people. It's real easy, man. You just sign up. You're taken care of. You don't have to go to hell. It's easy, bro. No power. A gospel of low expectation. Easy. Just pray a prayer. Come to church. Try your best. That's the gospel that gets preached all the time. Is it not? If you disagree, just come talk to me after church. I would love to talk to you if you disagree with me. It's cool. It really is. But it's no wonder that the capital C church finds herself lacking influence. Because we've reaped exactly what we've sowed. Nowhere do I read that Jesus said the gospel was easy and that salvation was easy. Nowhere do I read Jesus instruct us to make it simple and easy. Only God knows how many people have responded to a false, powerless gospel and have wondered why nothing has changed. Only God knows. And as I pinned that statement and study, it broke my heart. And I started to feel the weight of that. Christ doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't just want to have dominion over some of your life, but he wants dominion over all of your life. It's a call to come and die so you may live, to lose your life so you may find it. And as I draw closer And as I get in God's presence, the more and more he demands of me to die. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The closer I get, the more I die. And as I die, I find life. And I'm so thankful I didn't buy into a powerless gospel. I'm so thankful it's not easy. I'm so thankful to suffer and to hurt and to be burdened and to die. Second thing, if you didn't like that, it's not going to get any better. Second thing, the church, the capital C church has made individuals Selfish or internally minded. Too many people have failed to hear or failed to understand the high call of Christ on their life. Because what are a lot of churches content with? What have they cultivated in people? An attitude of come attend church when you can. When you feel like it, pay your tithes, serve once a month so you feel better about yourself. We're going to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. You have a staff, you give them tithes, you pay them to do the heavy lifting for you, so let them do that. And then you go, you leave church, you come back when you feel like it, and then you, you go pursue the American dream, you go chase success, you go make money, 
And then you come back and you sit in our, our pews and then you make us feel better because our attendance is high. That's what the church, the capital C church, has settled for. We've cultivated selfishness in people. Content with low expectations. Instead of propelling people to proclaim the gospel to their friends, we have told people, if, if you have a hard time conveying the gospel to your friends, just bring them to us. We'll take care of that for you. Just get them to church. We got your back. We'll take care of it. Instead of expecting people to know the word, to understand the gospel, the gospel they say they responded to. And in cultivating selfishness, the expectations of, the, of churches across America has, has skyrocketed to things like, how's the greeting? If it's not good enough, I'm, I'm peacing out. Or if you don't got the program I like, I'll go somewhere else. If we don't like the preaching, we'll go somewhere else. The church has cultivated a we've got it mentality and not empowered and propelled people towards individual responsibility and mission. The church has become content with drawing attenders instead of empowering kingdom builders, world changers. And in this mentality of ease and we've got you, it's no wonder that the people of God lack effect and influence because the truth of the matter is we get divorced just as much as anybody else does. We look at just as much porn as anybody else does. We're just as bad as being a mom and a dad as anyone else is. We're just as addicted to prescription medicine as the world is and we're just as greedy as the world is. We say we value marriage and the covenant of marriage. Proof's in the pudding, church. Third thing. The capital C church itself has become internally minded, more worried about people keeping, pe keeping people happy, more concerned with getting them in the four walls and it's no wonder, it's no wonder, as I've already said, we lack influence in the world. It's no wonder. Because God doesn't have dominion over us, and he doesn't have dominion over our churches. The Holy Spirit wanting to move in a church, us refusing to let him do it. He's knocking. No, God, we don't got time for that today. No, God, we don't want... We don't want Pentecost today. We're good. We don't want you to interrupt us today. You tracking with me? All right. Since the church has lost its influence in the world because we've built castles and not the kingdom... Another organization has stepped up to take on the role that the church was supposed to fulfill 
And that organization is called the government. I feel, I just, oh yeah. The government. Instead of going out and taking dominion, we're content with just telling the government how bad a job they're doing. They're, we're content with just waiting to vote in a new administration to fix it all, or a new senator, or a new house. Content with just waiting on Christ to return instead of taking ground, instead of taking on kingdom responsibility. Here are some kingdom responsibilities that we have let the government take on. Just a few. Widows. Orphans. What does Psalm 68, 5 say? Father of the fatherless, protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. What does James 1, 27 say? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The poor and the widows, we leave it to the government. And they're doing a tip-top job, are they not? The poor. What's Acts 4, 32 through 35 said? It says this, All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt what they were owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God great, God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money, the apostles, to those in need. One more that I'll say. There are more, but one more I'll say. We've even let the government say and, and dictate to our kids what being an adult is and the markers of being an adult. We've let the government do that for us. We've let the government establish this new made-up period of life called adolescence, extended childhood that was never meant to exist. And so we let the government tell our kids when they're a man, when then they're a woman, instead of letting the word be their formation and our home be their formation, we let the world tell them when they're an adult. When, they can, that when they're an adult is when they can vote, smoke, and drink, and drive. Not in that order, of course. But do you hear me? Lots of amens tonight. Who are we like? Who is the capital C church in America like? We're like Israel of the Old Testament. I'll, you want me to prove it to you? I will. How did, the, how did the Israel treat Moses? Moses goes on the mountain. He's in a glory cloud for 40 days. And you know who else was supposed to be up there? Israel. But what were they content with? They were content with a man going and meeting with God on their behalf. God didn't just want to speak to Moses and speak through Moses. God wanted to speak to all the people. But what do we do? We exalt Moses all over the world. We say, we're going to tune in to you. You go to God on our behalf. We're just chomping at the bit. What did you hear this week? Oh, Moses, 
We want to see the glory on your face. And what did God call us to do? And what did Jesus come to pave a way for us to do? To go up on the mountain ourselves. But we stay content listening to a Moses week after week, waiting on a fresh word from heaven when God has a fresh word for us that he wants us to go get. What else did Israel want? Israel wanted a king. Israel wanted a king. I won't read it. Go read it for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Israel wants a king. They're not content with just literally taking the land that God gave them and having dominion. They get lazy. They want to be like everybody else. So they say, we want a king. Samuel's ticked. He goes to God. He says, God, these people want a king. God says, if that's what they want, I'll give them what they want, but tell them what that king's gonna do. What's the king gonna do? He's gonna take your best land. He's gonna take your best women. He's gonna take your best stuff. They're like, we don't care. We don't want the responsibility. We want a king. We want a king to fight our battles. We want a king to rule for us. And what did God want to do? God wanted to use all those people to rule and reign and establish his will on the earth. But they rejected that call. And we do the same thing. We let the government rule. That's what we do. They expected Jesus to come and overturn the government. He's like, I, I got a master plan, bro. I'm working. One day I'll show them who's the boss. But until then, it doesn't matter who's in power. You're supposed to go take ground. I'm getting close to a close. Getting close. Humans, to remind you, as we said at the beginning, are the way that God reigns in the world. From the beginning, it was God's plan to share his world with humans and to have his reign, rule, and will be brought about in the world through humans. Three questions to end the night, and we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm going to talk a little longer, but I'm going to end with three questions for you to self-reflect on. Question number one, does God have dominion over your life? Does God have dominion over your life? Does he really have dominion? Have you let God literally invade every area of your life? Do you want me to give you a, a huge marker of whether or not you've let God really have dominion in your life, at least you men in the room? You ready? Do you have dominion in your home? If God has dominion over your life, you'll have dominion and authority in your home and your wife will know that you love her and your kids will know that you love them and you'll protect your kids and you'll be a lamb-like lion and a lion-like lamb and you'll know when to let it slide and you'll know when to pounce and you'll know what's going on in your home and there won't be any questions and everything will be out in the open and the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you when your kid is doing something. He wants to do that. He wants to give you that kind of dominion over your home, men. Because if you don't have dominion over your home, the devil will. 
Every time. Every time. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I experience that with youth all the time. Dad's in and out of the church, same story. No dominion. This is what happens with, with my students, okay? They get close to Jesus. They get close to him. And as they do that, he asks for more and more of them. And as, as they die more and more, the Holy Spirit starts to reign more and more. And that means they're empowered. And so then they go home. And what starts to happen in their home? A power struggle. Because they were content with them coming to church. But oh, now... Now there's some dominion. Now that room that used to be mine, now there's a seal on it. And I want to take that place back over. You think dominion isn't a thing? It's a thing in the spiritual realm. That was for at least four of you. That's just question number one. I'm almost done. Two more questions. Chill out. I know you're hungry. I'm hungry too. Look at me. Weathering away. Why are you laughing? It's not nice. Question two. Are you taking ground? Oh man, are you taking ground? If you really let God have dominion over your life, everywhere you go, you're taking ground. Do you let God have dominion over you on Sunday? And you're like, oh, we got to act right. We're going to church today. Does he have dominion over you at home, in the workplace? You go to church, wonder why when you talk about the gospel, it has no effect. It's because it looks powerless. Because you're no different than they are. That went over really, really nice. We're supposed to take ground and have power. This is the call of God. This is the call of God. Mark 16, 15 through 19. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's popular for a reason. Jesus said, go in all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Hmm. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick. They will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he'd spoken to them, was taking up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. If the church would have just submitted to the work of God and finished the work of God, then God would have already came back by now. Why are you still here? Is there prophecy yet to be fulfilled? Yeah. But ultimately, why are you still here? It's because at some point, the church laid the mantle down. At some point, we got selfish 
We got internally focused. And if you really wanted Christ to come back, you would be telling the story and walking in dominion everywhere you went. So are you going to cower in fear? The world looks at the posture of the church. And I would say the posture of the capital C church is, is cowardice. And what does God ask us to do? To stand and to go take ground. To go take ground. But we're just afraid as the world is. When Jesus told us what was to come, Jesus told us what was to come. In Matthew 24, Pastor mentioned it, and I really am about to close now. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. Matthew 24, Jesus is telling his disciples in a conversation what was to come before the end. He names all this awesome stuff. He gets us really excited, like earthquakes and war and rumors of war and famine and all that stuff that we just love. And right in the middle of it, what does Jesus say? And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars in Matthew 24, 6. See that you are not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. See that you are not alarmed. See that you don't panic. For this must take place. You see, the reason, if, if you are afraid right now as you watch the world burn it's because you're not close enough in proximity to God the Father you're not resting in the shadow of his wing you haven't really given him dominion over every area of your life <clears throat> some of you cannot handle looking at the news every day you can't handle it so stop doing it you need to instead open this book and draw near because you are not yet mature enough to not cower in fear as you listen to what everyone else is. And the world is looking for a church that's not afraid, that's not panicked, that's not alarmed. They're looking for a church who's not just content with building a castle with a big moat around it saying, everybody come in, it's just a safe place in here, the enemy can't get in here. What, what the world needs is a church that refuses to build castles and they need a church that, that will go out and take ground and build the kingdom and establish the reign and the rule and the will of God that Christ put on us from the beginning. It's time to take the word of God literal. It's time. Two. It's time to be a co-ruler with God. Four. It's time. You've set back long enough. It's time. Would you stand with me tonight?
I just want to pray for you, and I'm going to close in prayer, and we'll be dismissed, okay? If you want to come to the altar, I'd love to pray with you, but if not, you can just be dismissed tonight. Would you just put your hands in front of you? I might say a couple more things as we close. I think the last thing that the Holy Spirit wants me to say is this. Don't get so focused on the things that God hasn't asked you to take over and start to look in your house and in your backyard and at your job, the places God wants you to have dominion at and stop worrying about the things that God never meant for you to touch. The problem is we've overlooked our own homes and that's why the church finds itself where it is. Lord, I pray right now that you would establish dominion over your people, that we would start to die, to come and die so we might live, so we might not be just content with just a little flicker and just a small flame, but you would come inside the hearts and the souls of man and you would rekindle a fire in them. They were never just meant to be saved from hell. You had something for them. You had ground to take. You had purpose to fulfill. And you will not come until it's done. Let not the church cower in fear, but let us take ground. Let the church arise and let its enemies be scattered. Let those who sleep come awake in the name of Jesus. We look for revival, but the church is fast asleep. Before revival comes, awakening must come to the church. Jesus, let us take ground. Let us not let the enemy have authority and dominion over our life, over our home, over our job, over Butler County. But let us rise, and as we rise, Let us slay the giants you've asked us to slay. Let us establish dominion and rule, kingdom rule. And as we do that, one of two responses will happen to people. It will just be like you, Christ. When people people experienced you, there was two responses. They either come in, they were drawn near, or they rejected you and they couldn't stand you. Let us not be people who who allow people around us to be indifferent about the reason we live. Let us be so full of your spirit and your power that people are either attracted to us or they reject us. Let people not be content with who they are around us, but let us stir in them life and actually death, which leads to life. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Let us go out and accomplish your will as we await your return. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be dismissed.